0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
1: Good afternoon, reporting for WFHB. Sorry. Good afternoon, reporting for WFHB. This is Deke Hager.
2: And I'm Tom Malky this is the wfhb local news for monday january 23rd 2023
1: later in the program during the latest meeting of the bloomington city council council member sue Scamboleri read a statement in response to the january 11th racially motivated attack in
2: bloomington more in today's headlines also coming up in the next half hour we have activate narratives from people making positive change done in collaboration with Bloomington Volunteer Network. But first, your daily headlines.
1: At the Bloomington City Council meeting on January 18th, City Council member Sue Scambolari read a statement in response to the January 11th racially motored attack in Bloomington.
3: On January 11th, 2023, we learned of the racially motivated attack against an Asian American woman on one of our city buses. We condemn this crime unequivocally. Like many of our neighbors and colleagues, we are shocked by this incident, and we are deeply concerned about a climate in which some of our residents feel unsafe. We stand by the Common Council Resolution 20-06, denouncing and condemning white nationalism and white supremacy, which we adopted unanimously on May 6th, 2020. Initiated and sponsored by Council Member Sims and co-sponsored by all nine council members, this resolution condemns white nationalism, white supremacy, bigotry, racism, and hatred while upholding values of equity, inclusivity, respect, and kindness. Together, as members of the Bloomington Common Council, we condemn racism, the violence it begets, and the ignorance and fear on which it is based. We affirm our support for the Asian and Asian American community here and for all persons of color. We are determined to lead with integrity and to do all we can as elected officials to ensure that Bloomington truly reflects the diversity, equity and inclusiveness that we value so deeply. City of Bloomington
4: Common Council.
1: Deputy Mayor Mary Catherine Carmichael expressed a similar sentiment on behalf of the mayor's office.
4: Following the brutal attack of a member of our community, I want to state categorically that here in the city of Bloomington, we deplore any form of racism or discrimination, especially hate-based violence. This behavior is not acceptable and will be dealt with accordingly. I appreciate the quick response of a witness to the crime who helped police locate and identify the suspect along with the Bloomington Police Department and the Indiana University Community of Care for embracing the victim and providing appropriate support as she goes through this terrible ordeal. We know when a racially motivated incident like this resonates throughout the community, it can leave us feeling less safe. We stand with the Asian community and all who feel threatened by this event. Our staff will continue to do all we can for the victim and the larger community. Bloomington is a relatively safe place, but we are not immune to issues with which our entire nation is dealing. This senseless incident is a reminder that we should all look out for each other, be aware of our surroundings, and seek to combat racism and prejudice in all its forms wherever and whenever we encounter it. Thank you.
1: During public comment, Indiana University student David Wolf-Bender provided a statement denouncing the attack on behalf of IU student government.
5: Bloomington and Indiana University should always be a place for all. Unfortunately, the events of the last week suggest our communities have a long way to go to achieve that promise. The racially motivated, heartless attack on an Asian student at Indiana University is a harsh reminder that hatred exists in our communities. This act was unprovoked and targeted. Public transportation is a ubiquitous need for students in our city. Our bus system unlocks a student's ability to get involved in our city's off-campus events, work or shop at local businesses, and volunteer with city nonprofits. Public transportation can tie our on-campus and off-campus communities together, and it promotes the social fabric between students and non-students in our city. Nobody should ever be scared to get on a Bloomington bus. This, unfortunately, is not the first attack of its kind around the country or in our community. At the onset of COVID-19 in January 2020, anti-Asian hatred started to spread at alarming rates. The March 2021 murder of eight people in Atlanta, most of whom were Asian women, was one of the 95 anti-Asian hate crimes in the first three months of 2021. IU's Asian Culture Center also rightfully drew attention to two past incidents in and near our communities since 1999. In its statement last week, the Asian Culture Center asked the people of Bloomington and IU to condemn racial violence against Asian communities. Unequivocally, we do. We stand with IU's Asian students, faculty and staff as well as Bloomington's Asian residents. In addition to this event, a brave IU student posted a now viral video following his experience or describing his experience of being bullied and harassed as a trans student at IU. In an interview with local te- with a local television station, the student told a reporter he transferred to IU in part of the support of in the part of the supportive community he saw the school provide to its LGBTQ students, but our community let him down. It only took a few months for this student to experience harassment in our community. We want to acknowledge the bravery of the student who came forward to tell his story. It is now on the rest of us to enact new policies, change minds, and be there for friends and colleagues, all with the goal of stamping out transphobia and all form of hate in our community. The IU Student Government Executive Branch wholly condemns this repugnant harassment and will always stand behind the LGBTQ students at IU and in Bloomington. We long for a day when no student or community member faces harassment because of who they are. No person should ever feel unsafe on this campus or in this city, no matter their ethnicity, race, sexual orientation, gender, or religion. Thank you very much.
1: Next. City Clerk Nicole Bolden expanded on Appropriation Ordinance 22-6, which would place the City's Police and Fire Department headquarters at City Hall.
0: Appropriation Ordinance 2206, an ordinance appropriating the proceeds of the City of Bloomington, Indiana, General Revenue Annual Appropriation Bonds of 2022, together with all investments earnings thereon, for the purpose of providing funds to be applied to the cost of certain capital improvements for public safety facilities and paying miscellaneous costs in connection with the foregoing and the issuance of said bonds and sale thereof, and approving an agreement of the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission to purchase certain property. The synopsis is as follows. This ordinance makes an additional appropriation to be provided for out of the proceeds of the City of Bloomington, Indiana General Revenue Annual Appropriation Bonds of 2022, authorized by Ordinance 2230, together with any interest earnings thereon, which will be applied to finance costs of constructing, renovating, replacing, repairing, improving, and or equipping certain facilities for the City's Police and Fire Department, together with the costs of issuance thereof. It also approves of a purchase agreement between the City of Bloomington's Redevelopment Commission, the City of Bloomington, and CFC LLC for the purchase of a portion of the shower's building complex for $8.75 million.
1: Deputy Mayor Mary Catherine Carmichael spoke in favor of the ordinance.
4: I want to begin my comments the way I ended them at the last meeting of the ad hoc committee meeting on this topic. And that's just to say I'm concerned about how this discussion about a pretty simple question, whether or not to buy the additional showers property and unite public safety in the most and <clears throat> most of the other city departments under one roof, has kind of devolved into an us versus them approach to the issue. We are us and we are them, all city employees with the exact same mission to serve our residents. Our specific jobs differ, but the overarching goal is shared by every employee in every department. And many units besides police and fire are directly involved with public safety, Uh, with protecting and preserving public safety, community and family resources department, public works, utilities, information technology services, for example. I hope that with this purchase we will realize our hope to better integrate public safety services and yes, achieve a better sense of shared community within our own organization. So the idea is to open up and connect the spaces that are, are the current city hall that we're in at this moment and the CFC portion of showers. It is our hope that there would be plenty of opportunities throughout any given day to work together. The purchase is focused on just what we pledged earlier, providing enhanced facilities for public safety activities now and room for expanded police and fire operations in the future so that we aren't back at this drawing board in a few years.
1: City Councilman Steve Volan read a report from the Committee on Public Safety, headquarters of which he is a member. City Councilmember Baron Smith asked Volan if the city acquired the showers building and rented it out to tenants, what would happen to that revenue? Volan responded that he didn't know for sure, but he would be open to receive an estimate from the mayor's office. I want to thank everybody for that report and that that work has really fantastic. Um, the one question I asked... Um and I don't think I I don't think I understood it to be answered, but maybe it was. if the city acquires the showers building and then has tenants, what happens to the revenue from the tenants? I, I does it go back to reduce the bond? What happens to that?
6: That's a very good question. Uh, that of course, I'm not going to be the final answer on uh, the administration will need to answer it, and they may have an answer now. But I would start by saying that um, I share your interest in uh, a, a ballpark figure as to how much rent there might be and how much it might be able to defray the cost of acquiring the building. Um, I know that the leases, from what I've uh, from discussions with the administration, I know that. Um, uh, the leases expire at varying times. Some last more than others. Um, I suppose they've been a little uncomfortable to talk about the exact, uh, you know, lease amounts. So um, there's got to be a sensitive way that we can get a sense of how much there might be there. Um, but I, ultimately, I think it uh, it's, it's a question that I would like the administration to answer is can we get a, a ballpark figure of how much the cost of the building will be reduced uh, because... A significant portion of it is still under lease and how much, you know, how much we can expect over, say, the life of the bond that that will cost. If uh, Deputy Mayor Carmichael has ability to answer that now, uh, that'd be great. But Otherwise, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to see something by next week. Deputy
1: Mayor Carmichael responded with a rough estimate, but she added that it depends on a variety of factors. Smith pressed further.
4: Um, good question, and I do know um, what the current amount of revenue received from rents is, and it's in the ballpark of $37,000 a month, if that's helpful. Um, of course, uh, part of the answer to your question is going to depend on how many people remain, how much of the building um you know, we would be utilizing for public safety purposes. um, But does that be...
5: clarify,
1: if I may, is the intent for that to reduce the bond or does that go back maybe to the general fund or something? So that
4: would go toward the support of the building. So, you know, expenses that are incurred as a result of having that building.
7: To defray the the bond? It
4: it would be money generated, you know, from the, the... Um, public safety space, but it would go back into the public safety space. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay.
1: The council unanimously voted to postpone the decision until next week. The vote is expected
2: to happen at the next
1: Bloomington City Council meeting on January 25th.
2: At the Richland-Bean Blossom School Board meeting on January 17th, Assistant Superintendent Mart Irvin delivered his staff report.
7: All right, so you should have a couple sets of documents there uh, in front of you. Um, So the cash flows uh, for the school corporation, kind of like we talked about with the Board of Finance, you see a lot of this stuff um, on a monthly basis. Um, And so the education fund closed out 2022, uh, definitely above our expectations. The interest on investment, collections on our payables for preschool tuition and other uh, building items was higher. We definitely saw a, an increase in the state tuition support as far as it went along with our ADM and our enrollment. And again, all of this played a, a part in just putting us in a position again this year to be able to push all of our known new money at this time into staff salary and benefits. Um, the appropriation that was left, we did not encumber all of it. We encumbered a decent amount of it, which just meant that we rolled some of that appropriation to the next budget. Um, and then, again, I, I think that we probably should have some conversations about sometime during this first quarter, maybe moving some of that money into Rainy Day um, to continue to build that up a little bit. Right now, Rainy Days at a million dollars. Um, and I would like to see us probably you know put about two hundred thousand into Rainy Day if we can um, and probably just make that decision some sometime in the first quarter of this year before we roll towards the middle of the year.
2: Next? the school board considered updating the Contingency Learning and Safety Plan. Superintendent Dr. Jerry Sanders gave some background on the plan.
8: ESSA requires school corporations to update their in-person instructional plans every six months. Uh, the plan that was presented to you tonight, you approved back last summer. Uh, we have not made any changes uh, to that plan, uh, but we are basically asking the board to reaffirm that plan tonight. Um, uh, knock on wood, uh, I think things are going pretty well. I just pulled the uh, attendance percentage uh, for first semester uh, today, and mm-hmm. at the uh, preschool is 94.3%. Uh, e- uh, EPS, 942 at EIS, 949 And at the junior high, 94.5, and at the high school, 93.5. So, um, you know, like I said, knock on wood. But uh, uh, we would just like to ask the board to reaffirm that same plan.
2: The school board approved the contingency learning and safety plan by an unanimous vote. Next, Sanders outlined the 2023 to 2024 school calendar, and the snow makeup day plan uh,
8: this is what we've come up with with i think it's a really good calendar um this the first semester will start on august 9th, 9th and end on december 20th uh, the first day the first semester is three days longer uh, than this current uh, school year's first semester uh, winter break uh, will be december 21st until january 3rd this is one day less than this year Uh, Second semester will begin on January 4th uh, and end on May 22nd, uh, 2024. And uh, so that second semester will be three days shorter than this year. So you see, we're just kind of balancing out the two semesters there. Uh, We are going to add uh, a day off that we haven't had in the past, uh, pending we don't have any snow days. Uh, We're looking forward to having uh, February 19th, President's Day off, in 2024, uh, that that stretch of time uh, between now and spring break gets awful long, so we'd like to try to give a day in between there. Uh, spring break will be March 11th through the 15th, and that's one day less than, than this year. Um, basically, in the last several years, we've taken that Friday before spring break off, and we're not going to do that uh, next school year. And then something unusual in 2024, on April 8th, uh, our area will be in the direct path of totality uh, for a solar eclipse. And of course, uh, you know when that solar eclipse is going to happen right at dismissal time. Uh, So uh, our plan right now is to um, uh, take April 8th, 2024 as an e-learning day. Uh, to be able to uh, have the students safely at home and, and not having to be sending them home uh, right during the middle of the eclipse. We're also expecting, uh, our area is expecting a lot of people to come in. That's uh, it's been reported to me, a lot of people are going to come to our area to see this solar eclipse. So we'll see if that happens. Um <clears throat> Uh, So, what I also like about this uh, calendar is it gets everybody finished, students and staff, before Memorial Day. And I think that's, uh, once again, unless we have snow days. Graduation will be June 1st, and uh, this year I made up, uh, for 2023-24, made up a, a snow makeup day plan. Uh, So everybody knows up front, uh, if we have uh, a snow day, what we're going to do is the first snow day, and I'll just go over that real quick. Uh, So for the next school year, 23-24, if we have a snow day before uh, February 19th, then uh, President's Day will become uh, a school day. Uh, And then we're uh, limited to three uh, e-learning days, asynchronous e-learning days, which was how we uh, uh, deliver our e-learning days as asynchronous. So uh, synchronous, Uh, You could have unlimited, but synchronous means you have to have live stream, it has to be live. And uh, quite frankly, I don't know how school corporations can do that. Um, We learned through COVID uh, that uh, families who have three or four students in the home, uh, they can't all get on the computer and do their live classes at the same time. Uh, So we have to go the asynchronous route. So snow day number two would be the first e-learning day. Snow day number three would be the second e-learning day. Now, if we have to have uh, four or five snow days, then we're going to jump to the end of the school year and and make up those days at the end of the school year because we're trying to save that third e-learning day for April 8th. Okay. And uh, so this is all uh, be lined up. We'll put this uh, on our website.
2: Sanders explained that the e-learning days are necessary to ensure they have time for parent-teacher conferences and for professional development. The board approved the 2023 to 2024 school calendar unanimously. The next Richland-Bean Blossom School Board meeting will be held on February 20th.
1: Up next, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. Today's episode features Safe and Civil City Director Chetoya Moss with the Community and Family Resources Department at the City of Bloomington. We turn now to the latest installment of Activate.
4: Welcome to Activate, featuring stories of inspiration from your community members who stand up for what they believe in, and encouraging you to live your passion,
9: make a difference, and get involved. I'm Shatoya Moss, I am the Safe and Civil City Director, I work in the Community and Family Resources Department for the City of Bloomington. In my position, I am the Liaison for the Commission on the Status of Black Males, as well as the Commission on the Status of Children and Youth, Sister Cities, and the Liaison for the LGBTQ plus community for the entire city within my role i get the opportunity to celebrate different cultures and community by looking at inclusion diversity equity justice community response and community education practices as well as celebrate folks and then of course supply resources and anything that our community needs in order to thrive through the commissions status of children and youth, we have this project called uh, Youth Participatory Budgeting, also known as YPB. What YPB is on the city side is a democratic process where we take local community youth and give them part of the municipal budget and ask them, what is it that you want to see in the community? They develop ideas, they get feedback from their peers and implement this community project. We're in our second year of doing this. And the first year, our group The project took over a year, but they did eventually select putting new water bottle fillers in local parks and along the Beeline Trail. We recognized that people weren't able to just fill up a water bottle. We're happy that we were able to implement this. And this was completely done by youth. So that's just kind of one of the ways that we get to engage the community and we get to keep a connection, especially with our youth as they come through the ranks of, you know, learning more about city government and learning more about the operations of how this community works. We're expanding and hoping that youth will apply to be on commissions. We would love to see some youth come on commissions and kind of be that extra extension to the city. They can also get involved with other programs, especially under the Commission on Children and Youth, they have what's called Teen Roundtable, where we invite local teens just to come talk to us about what are the issues they see in this community and what they would like to see happen. Other things that we do for the youth in the community, we have two youth summits, the Black Male Summit and the Young Women's Leadership Summit. Again, this is a space that we invite Black and Brown, middle and high school young men and women to but it's open to all. It's just being able to understand that Bloomington has a very small population of black and brown students, and we want them to also feel empowered and get information. But we do also understand that their teachers and their peers need to learn a little bit more about their cultural differences and background and why they may be struggling or falling behind in certain scenarios. So when we started the summits, we were originally doing them in city hall Obviously, COVID kind of put a little damper on things. and We moved the summits virtually. Um, but our first time doing it, of course, was in City Hall, and it was a fantastic summit. Like, we enjoyed ourselves so much. The youth had fun. We danced. We sing. We laughed. And I got to meet so many kids. And one of those things, it just happens recently now, Four and a half years later, there is now a young lady who works or is an intern in City Hall. And she found me and she came to let me know that she was one of the kids at the Youth Summit, come back and now is an intern at the city. So it's it was just a really nice, like warm moment, like, oh. So I was smiling ear to ear when she just kind of came into my office and introduced herself. I was like, oh, my gosh. Come, like I said, check us out. Uh, commission meetings are all public. So even if you don't have anything to say, you just want to like sit in. That's also more than OK. And if you do have questions, definitely ask us some questions. You can also email any of us ahead of time or just call our front desk and they will help navigate you where you need to go. We will do our four signature events. We will have the Black History Month kickoff and that will take place on January 30th at City Hall. And then we will have our Black History Month essay contest where students from all over Bloomington, and Monroe County, can enter. We will have a set of titles or subjects that students can write over. And again, we will do all categories, elementary, middle, and high school students. And first place winners will receive a brand new iPad and we will celebrate them all at Fairview Elementary on February 15th. And then we will have our Black History Month Black Market where we invite groups, organizations, churches, nonprofits, business owners, entrepreneurs, Anyone who wants to get information out, highlight themselves or their work that's Black and Brown, we invite them to this space and we invite the community out to this space to learn more about them. And then, of course, we'll have our Black History Month Gala, where we will celebrate our living legend, which is given to a community member who has done years of work and had years of impact, as well as our Outstanding Leaders of Tomorrow, which is an award given through the Commission on Status of Black Males, where we highlight two African-American Black high school students into respective African-American and Black, male and female, adults age 30 and under in the community who has made significant impact, as well as just celebrate all the things that happened throughout Black History Month. We also do a community calendar. So we invite the community to submit any programs, events, book clubs that you may be having during the month of February. So we can also support your events and your community initiatives and just also learn about what's going on. And it's literally very much a click away. If you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, you can follow the city's page. If you're on Instagram, I believe we have a few Instagram pages out there. But also, you can always find information just on the Bloomington.in.gov. So I'm Shatoya Moss. I'm the Safe and Civil City Director, and I work in the Community and Family Resources Department at the City of Bloomington. I do inclusion, diversity, equity, justice, community response, and community education work for the community, where we find resources and help build community, educate about community, celebrate community and culture. We get people involved on commissions, committees, task force, and we just essentially help. That's what we want to do. We want to help. We want to celebrate. We want to elevate. We want to thrive. And we want to make our community way better than when we left it.
4: You've been listening to Activate, a co-production of WFHB and City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build an empowered, vibrant, engaged community. To find more information about volunteering in your community, visit bloomington.in.gov
0: volunteer.
2: The City of Bloomington Volunteer Network aims to inspire, support and celebrate volunteerism in the community by connecting volunteers of all ages and interests with opportunities to serve. They invite you to get involved and make a difference by visiting bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or by emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov to learn more.